Real Men Feel with Andy Grant encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been told, all emotions do serve you. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Now let's get to it. Hello and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. I'm a coach, author, and healer. Thank you for joining us today. Back in January, I was a guest on the Recovery Channel podcast with Dr. Rob Kelly, who had been a guest on Real Men Feel for a really cool episode called The Alcoholic Brain in October of 2020. And that was episode 209, if you're really trying to keep score and, and figure out where you can find that. But the Recovery Channel podcast also had a wonderful co-host that I really ju I just clicked with during that program. And I wanted to talk to her more in depth. So she is my guest today to share her perspective on raising boys. I'm happy to welcome to the show, coach, podcaster, and mother, Jennifer Lovely. Hello. So nice to meet you and see you again. So I have two boys. One is 25 and one is 23. And then I have a granddaughter, which she will be one at the end of this month. And so I was a young mom and I met a man that was, let's see, I was 17, he was 30. And so there was a lot of, if I'm really honest, there was a lot of grooming that went on. I remember when we got married and we got married in Vegas, I was pregnant with my oldest and my dad saying, you're married now. You need to take care of him. There are things you need to do. And I just remember being like so offended. And I wish that I could go back and not be married. Like I just wanted to run and I was scared and I had no idea what that meant that I had to take care of somebody else. And so being young and being groomed to take care of somebody else had me come from a place of everything is about take, you know, being there for these men in my life. And I didn't even really know who I was. And so I'm thinking back onto the emotion that I had when you were on our podcast. And I think really it was that place of not knowing who I truly was and raising these young men. And the truth is, is that I was toxic raising two young men. And that's not a judgment on me. I'm not being harsh on myself. I'm not, you know, any of those things. Where I'm coming from is I didn't know who I was. How was I going to share with two men who they're supposed to be? And their dad loved porn, loved the swinging lifestyle, and loved that I was young and that I could please him. And so that became the subject of how life was when my kids were growing up. Subsequently, I left when the, um, I think I was 23 by the time I divorced him. And so he had them for half the time and I had them for half the time. And the truth was, is I didn't have a lot of power. And that's not from a place of weakness, but what he said to them was more important than what I said to them. Was that in your mind? Do you feel like it was in all of their minds? Or like, how did that land? So how did it develop? So their dad, he stayed in the home. I left. I didn't have child support. And this isn't complaining and this isn't making wrong or anything. I'm good with all of that. From that perspective, I was unstable. I moved a lot. 
right? Like life was unstable for me. I had boyfriends or, you know, whatever, whatever the case was, he stayed in the house. He had a very good job. He had made great money. And so from that power play, and he was much older, that came across as what he said was God or the word, or that's what we live by. And so there was a lot of your mom is crazy. Your mom doesn't know your mom left. Your mom had an affair your mom, you know, all of these things. And they really lived by, if they don't do what their dad says, I'm going to, we're going to be in trouble, mom. And so there was fear put in them. And I was scared. I remember I was dating a guy once and he said to me, you know, Jen, I don't think, you know, all of these other issues are your problem. I actually think that your children's father is your problem because what I did was I gave him the power to be my dad. And we do that sometimes in our relationships when we don't have that parental role in our life. When we didn't have that healthy relationship with that parent, we give that power to the person that we're in relationship with. So you mentioned your dad told you once you were married, you have to take care of him. But so were you yes. raised with that mentality? Even if it wasn't said, that was the yes. mentality in the house. Yes, yes. In using and calling yourself toxic. I, I mean, know. Like, could you? I totally understand if I don't know who I am, how can I help anybody else? So what made right. that admission of just lack or, or not understanding or something like, like what made you label that toxic? Like how was that harmful as opposed to just neutral? Oh yeah. Well, I think it was harmful because, you know, one of the words that we use in personal development is go do your inner work. And I don't think a lot of us know what that inner work actually is right? We know we have feelings. We know that we feel maybe victimized or we project our feelings onto the rest of the world. I mean, we may not consciously know that, but we know that we're having reactions to life around us. And I think the thing that I didn't realize is that I was constantly in reaction of all of life events and the people around me. Therefore, that made it, I'm sure you've been around those people, but that made it kind of toxic to be around, right? When they're always reacting. And the thing that I was reacting to is that I had been sexually abused from a long period of time for as a young girl. My mom had left when I was five. And so abandonment, abuse, you know, all of those things were in play. But I wasn't, it hadn't all surfaced to the top of the level, right? Where I could see that there was moss growing there and we needed to clean that out. I hadn't really realized I was still young. I mean, imagine being in your 20s trying to raise children. You kind of just are kind of, you don't know yourself and you're trying to figure it out. So the toxic is that I was not aware of myself, my feelings, and how I was impacting the world around me. And I saw this meme and I said this to you, Andy, when we talked on the phone, it was like something to the effect of having being raised by a toxic mom is as bad as not having a father. And nobody really likes to talk about that because moms are really, you know, predicated as this amazing self-sacrificing people in the world. And while it's not that I don't think that we give birth, we do beautiful things and we hold a lot of things for both men and women. And if we're not seeing how we're impacting those around us, we become toxic or we are toxic. Mm. 
You asked if I know those people and I'm recovering those people. <laughs> you know, I wasn't living. I was reacting. That's what I thought life was. And, you know, I think for anyone, and I share some of the abuse at younger ages and such, for, especially when you're young and trying to make sense of all that, like it just, that's normal. We've only had this one life. So I find we either think, oh, everyone's had this, so it's no big deal. Or even in the same moment, I might think, or it's only me. And that's why I'm so flawed and broken and no one will ever understand. I could swing both ways on that, that spectrum of self-analysis, which is really just judgment and you know, further abandoning of ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's interesting is that I was really stoic. I wasn't fully expressing my emotions. So my kids never really saw me cry for a long time. And if I did cry, they'd be like, mom's crying. What do we do? What do we do? Rather than it being just mom's crying and it has nothing to do with you, right? And I think that is part of the thing that we, our children, and even us as children, we take on. We take on other people's emotions as ours so that we don't actually have to feel what it feels like to experience somebody else's grief, sadness, pain, whatever. We want to fix it. Don't want to feel it. I think to some degree, I did that with my own children. And the coolest thing is, is that my kids, they became addicted to heroin and methamphetamine. So for, I don't know, six years, we were in the battle of that. But through the recovery was us separating. You are not in charge of your mom's feelings. You can't save mom. And mom can't save you, but we actually get to be with each other and our feelings and acknowledge that these feelings exist. Case in point, my son, who's 25, says to me the other day, you know, mom, he was kind of talking about his relationship and he was sharing that he does a lot for the relationship. And he said, but, you know, I have my problems, too. And I said, what are those? He goes, I have a hard time cuddling. I don't really like to be cuddled. He goes, it's just kind of funny. I just don't. And so we ended up in this conversation around wonder where, you know, what is that about? You know, what's the uncomfortableness? What does that feel like? What does it not feel like? When you step into it, does it feel scary? And we ended up in this amazing, beautiful conversation about his feelings, my feelings, and they were just that, my feelings and his feelings. And because of recovery today, we can have those conversations. But that was me coming back and owning fucking all of my toxic shit because they wouldn't have felt safe before had I not been able to say what I needed to say to them and what was going on in my life and own all of my parts. And I think that's the key is that as a parent and as just a husband, wife, friend, when we can own our parts, it allows for the person to own their parts. Right. I mean, that's true leadership by example. Take responsibility yeah. for yourself and to teach that's how we can navigate life. And that's how we're, we're not just reacting. We're not just floating in this sea of like, what the hell's happening to me? And think that's how we're supposed to live. Yeah. And it's funny. It's like, you know, how we're talking now. I think to myself, you know, I sound like maybe I have it all together, but the parts that like it was years, Andy, where I was like a fucking nightmare of reactions and my kids watching these reactions. And so how does a woman teach two young men how to be with their feelings when she can't be with hers? And that really is the conversation, you know, how do we do that? 
and how do we do that? Right. You know, and really was, I think part of it, I used to do this thing where I would step outside and I would scream really loud and then I'd come back in and they'd be like, mom, you're insane. You're so crazy. When I began to get a little bit of some healthiness, I would say, no, I'm having a experience. There's emotions building up at me and I'm allowing it to be expressed, but it doesn't have anything to do with you. So talked a lot about different struggles and challenges in doing this. And I'd like to shine a little bit of light for a moment too. Sure. What's been your favorite thing about raising two boys? Mm. My favorite thing is they're my two favorite people in the world. The fun has been, is they're both very different and they respond differently to life in general. One is very an artist and one is like, I really love to work out and I really want to have deep conversations about the stars and, you know, that kind of thing. I love that they were so different from me and everything from their anatomy and learning about what it is to be a boy in the world. What is it to be, have your genitals on the outside of your body and not on the inside of your body? Like it's a whole different experience of the world. And I really got to watch that and how the world responds to that as opposed to the world responding to women where everything's on the inside. I love the silliness that boys have, the playfulness that boys have, the wildness that they had. And there's a deep-seated need to allow that wildness to be expressed differently than, for instance, women or girls. Do you think you and your boys could have healed and connected and be able to explore all these feelings and have a what, what sounds like a much better relationship, could that have happened without mm-hmm. the addiction happening first? I don't think so. I really don't. You know, I am one of these people that believe that when we have these crises in our life, that it is our soul that is asking for something. It's like these things have come, God the universe, whatever it is you believe, these things have come into our life because our soul is asking for something different than how it's gone. It wants to grow. And I believe that all of our souls really wanted to grow and that this crisis was the only way that not only were they going to be able to see me differently, but see themselves differently, most important. At any point were either of your son's really modeling their dad and just taking that behavior. That's how you're supposed to act. Mm -hmm. A lot. And, you know, the truth is, is that there's still a little bit of that. And we talk about it a lot. I mean, we talk about, you know, toxic masculinity and what that actually is. And, and, you know, this strange thing happened. My son had a daughter and then his girlfriend began expressing she began seeing some of these behaviors that were toxic, that were coming similar to their dad. And she put her foot down and was like, I see that you treat your mom, you've treated your mom the way that your dad actually treated her. And it's not going to happen to me. I'm not going to allow it. And thus began his journey into looking at the way that that has been, I don't know, groomed or just the environment that he grew up in, that maybe that doesn't work. 
in today's society. And so subsequently, you know, he's, he has sent me some messages like, mom, I feel angry. I feel sad. I'm scared. I have anxiety. Could you help me? Which is huge. You know, I think that's like 23 to be able to say that. I don't know that I had the ability at 23 to say that. And so I really give these boys, young men, a lot of kudos for not only the work they did in recovery, but the work, the conversations that they were willing to have with me that allowed them to be able to express themselves in this way. I know you and Dr. Rob talk about this a lot. It's not just getting clean. That's not the end of the work. It's exploring and going deeper. And that's the only way to, to stay clean is to, as you said in the beginning, to know who the hell you are. Yeah, it really is to know who you are. And we talk about emotional sobriety. And, you know, what does that really look like? And I think it's an everyday. You know, what about, you know, for you? I mean, does that feel like it's an everyday work for you is emotional sobriety? Boy, I'd like to say no, but it, it is. It just some days it's so easy. It doesn't seem like work. Everything works. So I don't need to do any effort about it. But plenty of other times, yeah, we're human. Like I share this all the time when I speak that anytime you seriously have contemplated suicide in your life, that thought will never be gone forever. It's lurking. It's waiting for weakness. It's waiting for doubt. It's ways. And, and you know, sometimes it shows up and I, I truly can just laugh at it. Like, how? what? This is so silly. You get out of here, crazy thought. But other times, you know, oh, maybe you're worth pondering. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. And I love that term, emotional sobriety. Yeah. Yeah. And it is. It's daily work. I feel like it's, you know, being it. And one of the things that how I work with women, moms and men is really reclaiming our grace. Because I believe that before the world took over and we had reactions to and defense mechanisms to all the things that were going on in our life, we had grace. God gave us this grace and we forgot. And so really the work that I do in the world is about us reclaiming that. And that's really why, Andy, I can sit on here and I can sit with you and I can go, I was a toxic mom. It's not who I am today, but I was. Yeah. I mean, the only way we can change anything is with awareness of it. Own and say, like, we don't like it. You know, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm thinking. I don't like it. And so many people just stop there. I go, well, I might just suck then. I can't do anything else. And that's the easy place to stop. But it, it's easy to stop, but it just makes a lifetime of pain. Mm -hmm. One of the tools I use with people is I access the Akashic Records. Like the whole spiritual plane. Great. So one of the things that comes from the records so often is what you described earlier of our soul wanting to grow. Like science tells us our universe is expanding and is expanding at a faster and faster rate. What the records always tell me and clients is that your soul yearns to expand. Your soul yearns for more. So every new thought, every new action, every new experience you have is literally the fuel that makes the universe expand faster and faster. So if we all just said, I'm not growing, I'm not learning, everything sucks, I'm the way I am, the end, literally life would stop. Yeah. So every again, that yearning, that longing, it's so important to feel it, to listen to it, to honor it, not to distract yourself, not, uh, not to run to substances, not to deny, but you know, our pain is so much of our pathway to our happiness and our joy, but we've got to go through it. We can't just touch it ooh, and, and keep recoiling from it. Yeah. And, you know, recently I dabbled in a little bit of the woo-woo and I did a soul reclamation. And so one of the things that came to the practitioner that I was with was I wasn't chosen 
and I'll show them. And so from the wound of I wasn't chosen, I spent my entire life, fuck you, I'll show you how it's going to be. Except that that just worked against me. That actually didn't help me because from that place, nobody could actually see me. Nobody could actually see my spirit, my soul, who I truly am in the world. All they could see was me pushing back and pushing up against and fighting. And so I believe that at any given time, we can make a new contract with our soul, that it could go differently. And the gift that my children's addiction gave me was that gift that I could change the contract and have it go differently And that to me was like the gift. And so when people are like in pain, you know, you know, you have these people that call you and I'm in pain right now and they vent and then they feel better. And then they're like, well, I'm good. I can keep going on with my, right. The thing that I want people to understand is that event is asking something from you and that the work that we do is finding out what exactly that event is asking. And that is the gift that heroin and meth gave me. That's why I'm like, yes. And people are like, no, that's not good. But it was so good. <laughs> it's a cliche said, said time and time again, but it's true. Like there's always a gift in our shit. And certainly it in is. the moment when you're just barely hanging on by your fingernails to life itself and watching people you love go through pain, you know, there's no positive here. Like, <laughs> so no, but after in hindsight, once you get through it, and you see the brighter future, you have that, that hope again, you experience that joy again. You're like, wow, I, I could not have gotten here if I hadn't gone through that. There's really just no other way. Yeah, there isn't. That's not to say that, like my kids were in jail and it still like, there's a little PTSD from those collect calls, right? You know, I mean, I literally would sit on the couch with a bag of popcorn and just like, with my phone next to me waiting for those. And that's not to say that it wasn't painful, but what it gave me was something greater than I could have ever imagined. And I will tell you that my son and I, my older one, especially, we would find some joy in those collect calls. Like he'd go, mom, one of the homies wants to know if his girl's in jail. So could you look up her name and let me know if she's in the, you know, in the system. And so you know, I would do that. And then I would tell him and then he would get his haircut for free. And then we would kind of revel in the joy of how that we were making this stuff kind of work with each other while we were dealing with a horrible experience. And it's not that I'm making it sound like it's some, like these are beauty moments, but when we can work and find the meaning when, because there's five stages of grief and they added a sixth one. And the sixth one is finding meaning. And when we can find the meaning in our grief, that's everything. We're finding meaning all the time, usually unconsciously. We decide things, oh, that means <laughs> yeah. I suck. That means I can't do it. That means give up. All that kind of crap is always happening. Right. Yeah. Yesterday, I kind of had one of those days where I was just like, fuck this. I should just go, I'm not in my gift. I just need to go get a nine to five job, right? Like we have those days where it sneaks in, you know? So I think it's also finding the thing that supports us out of that, those moments, you know? Like it's like our inner asshole speaking, right? (laughs) And sometimes that inner asshole speaks a lot. 
but it's finding ways that we can quiet the inner asshole. So what's your favorite way? Well, one of the ways is I've really come back home. I, I gave myself permission to really dislike yoga for like four years. I'm a, I'm a yoga teacher and a Pilates teacher. and But I just, I gave myself permission to dislike it. And since I've been in Sedona, I've been in my practice and it's brought me back home. And one of the things is just being able to be still and breathe and like move my body in a way that allows me to like work all those vitries as we call them in yoga, but like really move all of that stuff out. And what it does is it just allows for my essence to come back and the inner asshole quiets and I can begin working again from that place. But I think nature is a big thing. I think when we begin to, the embodiment of how we coexist with nature is a way to come back to ourselves. Yeah. Cause that inner asshole is not part of your essence. Yeah. And it really doesn't live inside of nature. Right. Yeah. So you, when you put yourself physically in resonance with things that are, are true and of their essence, then yeah, it's easier to be in your own. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think, I mean, talking to my kids is like, we talk just about every day. There's some sort of interaction, a text, this or that. And we laugh and we send each other, you know, like, I don't know, little messages that, you know, we share and music, music is another way that, I mean, I love rap music. And so we share, you know, in all sorts of music. So, I mean, I think that's some of the ways that I mellow my inner asshole. How do you mellow your inner asshole? Hmm. Engage with it, challenge it, dance with it, fight it sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like to get physical. Pre-pandemic, I used to love Les Mills body combat classes. You know, sometimes when yeah. I started, I just felt like a rocket and a slap fight kind of a thing. But it's just a great way to burn things off for me. But you know, sometimes I'll journal, I'll give it. All right. I'm like, really? It's like that annoying ass. Like, all right, asshole, what do you want? What do you want to tell me? Great. Well, this is stupid. But I let it out. Right. So I find that, I that. the ruminating. Almost if I keep it to myself, guess nowhere to go. But if I at least write it, even speak it out loud. Or about you said earlier, go outside, scream. Yeah, do that. Yeah. But denying it, <laughs> that doesn't help. Trying to fight it, resist it, just go with it. No. And, you know, and I think that's one of the things that men, you know, when I think about my children when they were in school, everything was sports. They played sports. My youngest one was super, super sensitive. And I've got to tell this story and I'm going to tell it out loud. I mean, I'm not saying their names or the school, but my son, his teacher, his woodshop teacher came out and told him in front of the whole class, this, you are the only person that has done this shitty in this class that I've ever had. You, I've never had a student. Now, I didn't know this until after 16 rehabs did he finally tell me this story. So he was so hurt. He walked out of that class in tears, trying to like control it. And so during a break, he went and pooped in the teacher's classroom because he did not have any other way of expressing his emotions. If that is not like deep seated stuff. I don't know what is, but that was the only way for this young boy to express himself. And when we think about how we have taught our men how to express themselves, we haven't. And as a woman, 
that didn't know how to express herself, but then is showing up in the world and asking men to, I want you to tell me how you feel, but yet I'm unable to even be with my own feelings is pretty fucked up. And so I say all of that because I think that today to see my kids for how far they've come, but also to calm your inner asshole, to find ways. My son didn't know how to calm his inner asshole. He didn't even know what his inner asshole was. And so I love what you're doing when you talk about how real men feel. Like if that story about, I'm going to, this is how I'm going to express myself as poop in your classroom. I think a lot of men probably feel that way. It's a very like, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like almost animalistic. Yeah, it's the most way primal of, reaction. Primal. Yeah. Thank you. You just took a shit on me. I will take a little shit on you. <laughs> yes. And I think that that's, Andy, I think that that is happening out in the world. And it's it heartbreaking. Is. It is. Is there anything still now with everything you and your sons have gone through? Is there anything you still wish you could teach them, but you feel like you can't because you're not a man? Mm-hmm. Well, I wish that I could teach them their power. And I don't feel like from a mom or a woman's perspective, I can teach them that. It's like this, they have to relate to another man to find that. And I wish that they had a man that they could emulate about what real power was. Because that's not their dad. That still isn't their dad. No. When I was making multiple attempts on my own life, I, you know, I realized that my mom was in a no-win situation. Because my parents still supported me. My parents love me. I knew that. But, well, that's my mom. Mm -hmm. She's supposed to love me. So it doesn't count. And then if there's a day that she's furious at me, even my mom doesn't love me. Right? So there's no way. So, yeah, I get that. You, yep, you can't teach their power. You, it's all these things that have to be discovered. And you're a saint. Anything you say that's good is just expected. And then when, it, when you're not a saint, yep. well, my mom's gone crazy. Right? It's just that's extremes. Yes. It's tough. You know, and part of the work for me was really stepping outside, allowing them to have their own experiences, right? Like giving people the dignity to fail is the biggest gift we can give people because then it's inside of their failing that they find their inner power. But man, sometimes that's hard as a mom to allow that to just happen over and over again. Yeah. I mean, that's hard as a human. So yeah, as a mom, it's going to even, you know, intensify even more than anything, but it's true. I mean, the, go back to nature and the mama bird shoving the babies out like, oh, that's horrible. What are they doing? Like, no, that's the only way that you will learn. And the whole, you know, the, the time of helicopter parenting. And if you try to save your child from ever getting hurt, they are screwed because you won't always be there. And, you know, as the human experience, we need to get hurt to realize what to do again, what to avoid, how to deal with it. Now, resilience and to get up again. And if you never get hurt, you never learn how to get back up. And then one day your parents aren't there and you just, right. you're flat out and you think that's the end. Yeah. And, you know, I remember this one day, I think my son was like, I don't know, number 10, maybe 11 rehab. And he called and he said, mom, I'm leaving. And I said, okay. And I said, if you leave, I mean, there's nothing, I'm not helping you. I don't, I guess you'll be, you're going to be homeless. He says, well, I'm going to kill myself. And I said, okay, I'm going to have to be okay with that. And we talk about that today and, you know, he'll tell me, you know, he'll, oh, I remember exactly where I was when that was happening, but I had to let go because the truth is, is I couldn't allow them killing themselves to kill me because I began to love myself as much 
if not more, in the way that I loved them. But I began loving my little in that way, going, okay, I need to take care of myself here. And I think that's one of the crazy things about being a mom or a dad, really, is that we almost will love our children to death and not allow them to have the experience of finding their own power. It's painful. It's painful on everyone involved or in that seemingly to avoid pain in the moment, you think you're doing great work for both of you and you're not. Right. No, we're not. And I really believe, you know, getting back to like what I loved about having children or my boys actually, is that it was no wonder I had boys. Like that was the sex that my part of my first wound was up against. Right. And so then I had to try to rationalize and deal with all of the parts of being with boys that I really resented because of my wound. And so it was such a gift. You know, we talk about like how our gift is inside of the wound and that was such a gift. So I actually had to be with all of the parts that I wanted to reject and learn to love. It's funny and amazing and horrible all at the same time, how life works that way, right? Mirroring back to you yes, everything you never sure. want to deal with again and to give the opportunity to do <laughs> something about it. Yeah. And to- yeah. 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 So it's really cool. Well, I really appreciate how open you are with your experiences because it serves other people to realize they can be at that open and they can heal through hearing stories of other people's healings. I totally believe that can be the case. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the conversation and just being a part of what you are out there in the world, the gift that you're giving the world. And I appreciate you having me on here and sharing this. You co-host with Dr. Rob Kelly, but you also have your own podcast. I do. I have my own podcast. It's called Wet Pussy. And it really isn't about the wet pussy, but it's about the juicy part of life and how we live from that place. And how that if we lived from the juicy how our life is so enriched. So that was actually a take on me overcoming my own, stepping into my own sexuality and from a place of power. And then I coach people, group and independently. And as I stated, I'm all about reclaiming our grace. And I believe that we all have the ability to reclaim our grace. So, yeah. Right. So Jennifer, where can people find out more about you and about Wet Pussy and everything you're up to? Yeah. So everything's on Jennifer Lovely Coaching. Dot com. So you can find me there. You can find me on Instagram and or Facebook, Jennifer Lovely. Yeah, that's where you can find me. And the recovery channel is on Mondays and Fridays with Dr. Rob Kelly. And we talk about everything recovery from recovering our old belief system all the way to, you know, sex, food, drugs, and alcohol. Awesome. Awesome. Continued success and healing. Thank you. You truly are divinely lovely. And I hope that only gets brighter in your own experience of, of you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time and and just for being in this conversation. And thank you for doing the work as a man out in the world and really teaching men that they can be with their feelings. And that's really powerful. Thank you. Yeah. Not just can be, we really have to be. It's not as much of a choice that you think. <laughs> so thanks you, Jennifer. Thanks everyone for listening. Wherever you're listening, subscribe, share, give a review, visit realmenfeel.org. You have the show notes where I'll have links to everything that was mentioned so you can easily track down Jennifer and keep up to date with her and check her out. And until next time, be good to yourself. Yes. Well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Contact us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. 
Learn more about author, coach, and healer Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. If you enjoyed this episode, it would help us greatly if you gave a review wherever you are listening right now. 